It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. Those tears, tears, tears. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turned with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man, so are they all. All honorable, honorable men. men, honorable men, honorable men. This was a man. This was a man. This no is a song called No Tears for Caesar. It is one of Shatner's few hip-hop songs. It is uh, Shatner and Rated R, the rapper Rated R. And I have always said, uh, to youth, and this song is 24 years old, I have always said this song is the best way to teach the play Julius Caesar to young people. Because I still hear the words of Shatner and, to a lesser extent, Rated R in this song. And it's the best way to memorize that Mark Antony monologue in the, in the play. It's great. And it is just wonderful. This is from a film originally called um, Free Enterprise. If you're a Shatner fan and have not seen the film Free Enterprise, you're not a Shatner fan. It's about 24 years old, and this was right before Shatner blew up again. And basically, the premise of the film is two lifelong fans of Star Trek and William Shatner have Shatner appear to them at all sorts of key moments throughout their life. It's almost like Humphrey Bogart in the Woody Allen movie, Played Against Sam. Well, that might as well have been what occurred with John Katsimatidis and me yesterday, because John and me are lifelong fans of William Shatner, and to be able to interview him and talk to him about his book and about what he's doing um, in terms of going to space and everything like that was a real treat. So what you're going to hear is the beginning of a discussion that uh, John and me and uh, Lydia Serrano had with William Shatner, and then a continuation of that discussion that is exclusively for this program, The Other Side of Midnight. Final Frontier. These oh. are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Well, you know what this means. It's five-year mission. We have William Shatner, a.k.a. Captain world. Kirk, on the line. He has a new book. It's called Boldly Go, Reflections on a Life of Awe and Wonder. Welcome to Cats at Night, William Shatner. Thank you. Thank you. Now, William Shatner, John Katzmatidis here. Uh, I was going to NYU, and everybody gathered around the television set at NYU during our college, the only television set on campus to watch you in uh, Star Trek originally, and and um, it was it, it was a show before its time. And how did you feel doing it? Well, I, I got to tell you, Rick, uh, you, you're uh, you're living in the past at 60 years old. You realize that, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. And and you want to talk about a 60 year old event in your life and in mine? I'm perfectly willing to do that. Although, bringing it up to date is also interesting, isn't it? 
Mr. Shatner, this is uh, Frank Morano, and uh, it's great to talk with you again. And uh, I congratulate you on the new book. I've read all your books, and I absolutely love this one. You've spent so much of your life portraying characters that have gone to outer space, and now you've achieved what very few people actually have and got to go to outer space. The reaction that you said that you had when you got there, I think, surprised a lot of people. You indicated that it made you sad. Did that surprise you, and why did going to space and seeing the Earth make you sad? It was a shock to me. Um, it, it, I had no idea that that would be my feeling. The, the original idea of going up there for me was the excitement, the thrill of going into space. I had talked about it uh, all these years ago, about space, the final frontier. I've given speeches where I've said the final frontier is not space. It's one of the frontiers. The final frontiers are many-fold, and probably the final frontier is death and what happens after death. But uh, I, I, I had given essentially lip service to all those things, saying it because I felt it, but I didn't realize how deeply it affected me. I've been an ecologist for a long time, observing what was happening in the world and trying to speak out against it. And... and um, and then going up into space, I, I, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I observed uh, the blackness of space and the, the, the gorgeousness of the Earth. And when I came back, I started to cry. I didn't know why I was crying. And I had to sit down for a few months to realize I had a feeling of grief. And the grief was for the world. And the grief was mm. for the <clears throat> things that are going extinct. Now, as we, you and I are talking, there are, there are entities going extinct that we've never seen, taking 5.8 billion years to evolve, and these gorgeous, beautiful things that the world and life uh, made whole is gone, and we don't know what they were, what they did, and what a miracle it was to have them on Earth. And that, to me, was so sad and tragic, and, and I didn't fully comprehend it. Mm until I was able to take some time to think about it. Uh, talking with William Shatner, his new book is Boldly Go. you got to check it out. And uh, Mr. Shatner, you mentioned death. My lone complaint with you, and I've followed everything you've ever done, and I'm a fan of everything you've ever done, is that I haven't gotten to interview you nearly enough. And I always thought that uh, when you stopped living, that opportunity would go away. But apparently... I may have that opportunity, and John Katzmatidis may have that opportunity to interview you even after you pass on. Are you really going to be a hologram after you pass away? Well, I'm so involved in futuristic things. It's been not something I would have chosen 60 years ago, but over the years, because of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, interviews like this where people talk about what is the future and what and what thinking I know, uh, I've, I've had a deep interest in futuristic ideas. And one of the ideas that came to me uh, a couple of years ago that, that, that uh, uh, somebody came to me with was a hologram and artificial intelligence and the technology of being able to allow the viewer to ask the question and then the artificial intelligence element answering that question. So I sat down in front of, oh, I don't know, 15 cameras taking a uh, holographic picture of me, 
Uh, I sat for five days and answered questions as fully as I could. And out of that came uh, a, uh, a uh, well, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a, re- a recording of uh, every imaginable question and every imaginable answer so that now and in the future, somebody will be able to sit down in front of my image and ask me a question, and presumably <laughs> I'll have a decent answer to that question. And what struck me uh, hugely was if that technology had been around at the time of, oh, I don't know, Einstein? How about Beethoven? How about Plato? If you could sit down in front of an image of the great men of history and ask them a question pertaining to anything, pertaining to when they went to the bathroom, or how did they get the idea for their philosophy, what an extraordinary uh, experience it would be for you. So I joined that company called... um, um, a story file, and that's the company that's doing that. And think of the uses uh, that you could put that to. Yeah. Uh, how far away? Was, how far away from being able to, to download the brain into a computer? The brain? Yes. The, the you, uh, did you say the brain? Someday we'll be able to download a, our brain into a computer. How far away do you think we are? Well, I think that's a long ways off, but we can download information. For example, there's a huge computer, the largest computer in the world, that has been programmed with everything that's been written in English. And I watched somebody inquire uh, esoteric things, not what is 2 plus 2, but things that ordinarily a computer can't answer, like what is love and, and what is justice, things that are ephemeral. So since this computer was programmed with everything that has been said, it offered very erudite answers to those uh, uh, non-concrete questions. And and then it occurred to me that all of us are programmed by uh, by teachers telling us, well, here's what Plato said, here's what uh, 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 Einstein said, here's what 2 plus 2 is. So we're all, in effect, artificial intelligence pro- pro- program and and there isn't there is a difference between us and a, and a computer but the edges are getting more and more uh, fuzzy. Mr. Shatner, uh, you did a terrific series for the History Channel called William Shatner Meets Ancient Aliens. And uh, obviously your career has been so tied up with space all the way going back to the 60s, all the way till uh, last year. It was also reported years ago that you you might have actually seen a UFO. Uh, given your perspective on all this stuff and researching it, tell folks what you think about the possibility of UFOs having visited this planet is. Well, Again, you've got to make the distinction between an unidentified flying object, which is a flying object that's out there and we haven't identified what it is, uh, and a little green man in control of that UFO. There's a huge difference. Now, we've seen recently filmed by Navy pilots on UFOs. But there's no explanation. We don't know what they are. Uh, we've heard... Um, military guys on ships saying they saw ships on the horizon disappear into the ocean. 
Um, do you know what the word Fata Morgana is? I'm embarrassed to say I don't. No, it's no embarrassment. I, I came upon the word some time ago. I looked it up and realized Fata Morgana means an illusion. That's what uh, uh, one might see in the desert when you see a mirage and it's not really there. But where is it? We now know that the light waves uh, can be uh, perverted by uh, hot air, waves, layers of hot air, in the same way sound in the ocean uh, uses layers of cold and hot water, currents of cold and hot water, so the air is the same way. So that there is a phenomenon known as Fatamagana, which means that it's possible that some object, a distance, maybe a thousand miles away, is being projected into the stratosphere and reflected somewhere else. And so Fata Morgana, this, this phenomena of a very worldly phenomena that's explained, could be part of what we're talking about. Frank Moreno and uh, William Shatner, you guys can continue the conversation for for our show uh, that's coming up. William Shatner, we love you, and the, the world loves you, and I think you're, you're more right than wrong. What could I say? Mr. Shatner, I have been a fan of your music for a long time. I have all your albums going back to the Transformed Man, uh, the song that you did with uh, Ben Folds 5, History of Pop Volume 1, I think might be the only song I actually know every lyric to. Uh, your album has been, I thought, was transformative. You've been recording music since the 60s. Now you've actually had the opportunity to perform with legendary musician Yo-Yo Ma, something a lot of musicians wait a lifetime for. What advice would you give for aspiring musicians who either want to make it to Carnegie Hall or make it to Yo-Yo Ma? Well, let me clarify the, uh, the Yo-Yo Ma. I recently did an album called Bill, uh, which is out there now. Uh, you can get it on Spotify and things like that. And there was a a um, a uh, song that the, the team, the two guys and myself wrote uh, about loneliness. And I thought the only accompaniment I would need on that uh, uh, song about loneliness would be Yo-Yo Ma. So I attempted, uh, and I talked to him once or twice over the years, so I attempted to get in touch with him to ask him to play on the album. And his agent or somebody representing him said he was on tour and he couldn't. And uh, so much to my regret, we went somewhere else without uh, Mr. Ma. But uh, we're planning another album uh, right ah, now uh, called Raw. Uh, and uh, it would be my hope that I would contact Yo-Yo Ma again and see if he would uh, uh, join me on a on a, on, a, on a song that we have written. I have, um, I recently performed at um, Kennedy Center, and we made a, uh, a uh, television show and an album, uh, and, uh, and there's another uh, documentary on me. So we have a package of an album, two documentaries, uh, and a company called Legion M is representing it, and I think it's going to be, uh, really wonderful. In addition to all that, this is my point, one of the songs that I performed at Kennedy Center 
we wrote called So Fragile, So Blue. And it's about uh, the condition of the world and, and the, the, the wreckage and the hope that we can save something. And, and we're making a music video of it. And I'm my, my, my fantasy is this music video, So Fragile, So Blue, which has again and again the phrase, what can we do? Uh, my hope is to get celebrities to join in. What can we do? And this whole music video be a rallying cry to the oil industry and everybody else to help uh, save uh, the world. Now, the world will continue, but mankind may, to a large extent, uh, go uh, uh, go uh, extinct. I think it's so great that you're investing so much of your time into the future of mankind and the future of the Earth, even though you have talked before, you're in your 90s now, and uh, my 11-month-old son, he has uh, much more of a vested interest and much more of a self-interest in making sure mankind and the globe continues than than you might, and uh, I just give you all the credit in the world for that. If people aren't William Shatner... He's 11 months or 11 years? 11 months, 11 months. Well, I have a great-grandchild. His middle name is William, uh, for you. Well, there's one that's three and one that's one month. And I, too, am consumed with with the imperative that the world for them, we need to change now to, to, to save the world for them. There, we don't know how bad things will be for your, grand, for your child in 20, 30, 40 years from now. And it behooves all of us, those in the coal industry, those in the oil industry, those in the tobacco industry, all the industries that are, are, are need to update themselves to face the world as it is. And, 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 and it should be. It's the, the great companies that are oil companies and coal companies, the great companies that led this country into the uh, forward position it's in, all need to now look with intelligence and compassion at what's happening in the world. The world has changed. They need to change with it, or they'll become extinct because, you know, things change. There is progress, and we need to adjust. If we fight the change, we ourselves will be uh, extinguished. If we go with the change, improve on the change, then uh, we will exist and and further uh, the great things that mankind can do. As uh, I alluded to when uh, we were speaking with John Katz and Matides, I have seen, uh, and he's an oil man, but I have seen uh, some people in the oil sector and and people that have made money in the fossil fuel business be willing to make that uh, transition to renewables and biofuels and things of uh, of that nature. But if you're just an ordinary person, if you're not William Shatner, who has a global or international uh, megaphone, if you're not a billionaire like John Katz and Matides, what can an individual person do who's listening to us right now that's concerned well, about the future of the planet? You can, you can elect officials that talk about it uh, with sensibilities. Uh, you can, uh, and that's the key thing. Our government and the governments of the world are gradually acknowledging the, the existential problem that exists. It's just that if so many people who might have a mortgage on their house and can't make the payment, 
would rather go out to dinner or, or, or in some way uh, kick the, the can down the road rather than facing the problem we've got to stop spending money enough so we can pay the mortgage. It's hmm. just human nature. We've buried our heads in the sand. Industries have buried their heads in the sand. Ordinary people, who do you think was affected by the, by the hurricane uh, and the cyclones that hit uh, uh, Florida? Florida is on the verge of being inundated by the sea. We know the sea is going to rise. So already, Florida, around Miami, they're putting up 20-foot walls uh, in front of apartments that cost millions of dollars so they can have a view of the sea. Walls are going up now to contain uh, the water. New York City is going to have to put up dams. There's no question. All this is happening in the future. We've got to go with the future. We've got to swing with the blow. We've got to take the, the hit and move with it. And denying it is going to lead to our death. So ordinary people need to understand there is a way out, but we have to have people representing us to uh, help lead us out of the way. Uh, two two final questions, sir, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Believe me, I know how busy you are, but uh, it seems like so much of your life, you your life ha- existence has been inexorably tied with animals, uh, dogs, horses. Uh, the list goes on and on. Now, at 90, my grandmother, uh, the extent of her wilding was maybe the occasional mahjong game and doing a little knitting at 90 chose to actually go swimming with sharks. I'm wondering if you could tell people about what that experience was like and why you chose to go swimming with sharks at any age, let alone 90. Well, swimming with sharks was a challenge, and they were 18-foot tiger sharks, and there was an element of safety because I was diving with Bahamian uh, divers who knew their job. So there was one behind me the whole time except when he darted out to push a shark aside. Uh, he was behind me because he told me later they're ambush predators and they sneak up behind you. They, there is an element of danger, no question. Sharks uh, sometimes take a bite out of people, but mostly it's because they, they think the human being is a seal or, or something edible. Mostly, not all the time, enough to, to make it dangerous, the, uh, sharks don't want to have anything to do with it. But it was that thrill of the danger. It was that thrill of jumping out of an airplane. It's that thrill of going up into space knowing that hydrogen mm. uh, was in the vehicle and, and burning to get us up there and having my head filled over the years with the Hindenburg uh, documentaries. So it has to do with the thrill, and it has to do with the curiosity. And if your grandma just asked a question about Mahjong, where does it come from? Where does it go? <laughs> Who thought of it? Why are these rules? It's the curiosity of everybody all the time that keeps you alive and well and young. It's that inner child that needs to be cultivated and, and kept alive so that that child of three, four, five, six, seven says, what's that and why is it? That's the secret to... to uh, full and, and long life. 
L- lastly, sir, I-, I think one of the saddest things in the world is when uh, folks um, hold grudges. And uh, one of the messages that uh, you have been hammering home to everybody for years is always say yes to everything. Say yes to every opportunity. You never know where that leads. And I was so pleased to read in uh, your book, Boldly Go, that uh, you and James Doohan, a fellow Canadian who famously played uh, Scotty, that you guys sort of patched things up before he passed away. He'd written some uh, negative things about you and said some things about you that were not so kind. Uh, And I'm wondering uh, what advice you would give to people who may have folks that they're holding grudges with in their own life about how they can look past uh, some silly negativity and patch things up with folks they may have been estranged from from a long time, be they family members, friends, coworkers. Holding a grudge, having uh, anger toward, uh, uh, having a rage toward them. It's a cliche to say that affects you more than it affects them. But think of it. They don't know uh, that you're uh, enraged. As far as they're concerned, they're having a drink someplace and having a good time. You're the one that's enraged. And you're the one that's going to suffer from those negative emotions physically. Uh, uh, Being angry, uh, uh, which has served the purpose, but if you're angry all the time at something, then it's going to affect you physically. So then the person you're angry at uh, has a victory. Get rid of the anger. Just logically talk to yourself. Get rid of the anger. There's no point in being angry at somebody for a length of time. Either work it out, come to grips with it, ignore it, do something to to, 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 to loosen those feelings because... They do no harm to anybody else but yourself. Mr. Shatner, it is always a treat to talk with you. It's a great honor. You know what a fan I am of you and your work. I'm so glad that you're so busy because we get to enjoy the benefits of your labor. Hope everybody checks out Boldly Go. I look forward to hearing that song with Yo-Yo Ma, and hopefully we get to chat again before your hologram. I would look forward to it. Take care, and thank you for talking to me. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with William Shatner, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.